Hello, everybody. Jonathan Scott, one of the pastors here at Forest Hill Church, and it is my privilege to extend a celebration to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Uh, personally, I'm proud to be the father to Nathan and Christine. I'm also extremely proud to be the son of Ed Scott, who is right now, I hope he's watching this right now, but to all the dads, thank you for your service and thank you for your influence and for all the father figures as well. We celebrate that influence to so many children. At the same time, I want to extend some sympathy for those of you that have lost dads and you're dealing with the grief of that incredibly important person who's no longer in your life, though the influence lives on, as well as for those of you who've wanted to be fathers and that opportunity has not come yet. I pray you'd know God's comfort during this time. I also want to give a shout out to a really great dad. Last week, Pastor Todd Lesher did an incredible job with the message. As a matter of fact, one of the lines of that message he talked about last week from Mark chapter 13 is still dealing with me. His question was, what will you cling to when what you've clung to collapses? Owie. I've been dealing with that issue in my own life about the things that I'm dependent upon, that if they collapse, I'm left with little to nothing. Maybe you've thought the same thing as well. He also introduced this idea of apocalypse. In other words, something that is unknown or hidden, but that is revealed. And he mentioned it within the context last week of the temple and that particular era when Jesus was prophesying and predicting what would happen. Today, we're gonna to be a little bit more personal because Jesus is actually gonna do some apocalypsising, if that's even a word, in a personal way with a personal life. In other words, those kinds of things that are hidden or unknown to us that get revealed, which brings a question. What about your life? What are those kinds of things that are hidden from you or unknown to you that you wouldn't mind having revealed about the future? Maybe some of you at this particular point would be thinking, well, yeah, I'd kind of like to know about marriage, if and who and when I'm gonna get married, or maybe about your financial future. What's my financial future gonna look like? Or where will I live? Or am I gonna get that promotion? Or will we be safe? In other words, will I continue to be healthy even through this whole COVID thing? Uh, where will I retire? Um, what will I be doing? How will I experience success? Will I get that diploma? Will I get that scholarship? Will I end up being successful? Maybe some of you are thinking about your own particular health care. How healthy will you be? Or maybe you might be interested in when and if and how you might die. I bet you that one of those things that probably will not be on your list will be, where will I fail? Where will I experience failure? That's probably not gonna be on your list, but that's actually the topic of what we're dealing with today. Because here's the reality. We've been talking for several weeks about dynamic life. In this series, which we're getting ready to kind of wind up in a couple of weeks on trading up the dynamic life of Jesus Christ, looking through his life at the quality of the kind of life that is worth living, that we trade away what's no longer adequate for this, which is superior, a kind of dynamic life that gives us purpose and meaning an identity and vitality in the way that we live our life. Uh, the kind of dynamic life that is so desperately needed right now in the midst of a broken and grieving world. But here's the thing. Even though this dynamic life is wonderful, the issue is that sometimes we come into the context with our own failures, with our own weaknesses. Folks, let's not be deceived. Simply because we have dynamic life does not mean that we're somehow immune from our own technical difficulties or our moral failures or our disruptions and disconnections in our intimacy with Christ, where we experience failure. So how does dynamic life address our failures? How does it address 
our weaknesses. And that's what we're dealing with today. And Jesus is gonna give Peter an apocalypse, a revelation of where Peter's going to fail. And that's gonna speak to our life as well. So here's the context of this passage in Mark chapter 14. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's his last meal before he's going to be betrayed and denied. He's actually walked through the process of telling the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. And they're all like, is it me? Is it I? They're not sure who it is. It's Judas, but they don't really know that. And then after that, Jesus is going to take the bread and the wine as a symbol of his sacrifice of what's gonna come, where he's gonna offer his body as that sacrifice, that atoning sacrifice to reconnect or to provide the way that disconnected man can be connected with God again. He's gonna talk about the wine being something he's not gonna drink until the new day in that new kingdom. And then it says that after that, they left that place and they sang hymns. And the hymns that they sang, traditional hymns of the Passover, you can find in Psalm 115 through 118. And I read those and I'm thinking it must have been difficult for Jesus to sing those with his disciples because they talked of God's blessing, of God's faithfulness, of God's deliverance from enemies, but it also talked about trouble and sorrow. And so that must have created a heavy heartedness with Jesus as they left to go to the garden where we're about to take a look at the apocalypsis of Jesus speaking to Peter about his failure. So in the honor of the reading of God's word and the reverence for the author and its authority over our life, if you are able, wherever you are, I invite you to stand as we take a look at this passage from Mark chapter 14, beginning of verse 26. Here's what it says. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to Peter, today, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples, they said the same thing. Then they came to the place named Gethsemane and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. And then Jesus went a little farther, fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then Jesus came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Again, thank you for every one of you who are a part of this communication. Uh, here's the thing, Jesus, one of the prayers that Jesus taught the disciples and teaches us to pray in the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer is, we pray for thy will to be done, thy kingdom come, thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a question. 
To what lengths are we willing to go for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done? Every single one of us at several points in our life, we're gonna have those moments when that commitment is gonna be challenged by some significant opposing forces. Do we have what it takes to go against those forces and to still be faithful to the kingdom and the will of God? So here's what's taking place in this particular story. Jesus is on the way to the garden. His heart is heavy. He is becoming more and more aware of what's going to take place. And he says to the disciples, he drops this bomb on the disciples and says, all of you are going to abandon me. All of you are going to desert me. You're gonna find something in me that will erode your faith and will cause you to desert me. All of you will do that. And then he references a passage in the Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah chapter 13 about the shepherd being struck and the sheep being scattered almost to the four winds of the forces that were around. How would you feel if your failure to your friend were actually written down and forecast in a document hundreds of years before? I have no idea what that, that would be like, but Peter can't take it. Peter basically did again hear what he did in previous chapters, where when Jesus would say something, Peter would say, you're wrong. In other words, Peter basically called Jesus at this particular point, a false prophet. Peter says to Jesus, look, and this is where he steps up with some superiority. Everyone else may fall away, but I will not. He puts himself above the other guys. He puts them down and says, they may, these knuckleheads, they may lose faith in you, but you can count on me, I will not deny you. That's pride. That kind of pride that blinds us and binds us to our own weaknesses, which actually can create even further destruction. Peter's completely unaware of his, his blind spots what other people apparently can see real well, especially at this particular point, Jesus, because Jesus actually responds to Peter and says, Peter, I tell you the truth. Before the sun comes up, you're going to deny you even know me. And then you're going to deny me again and again. You're going to deny me three times, Peter. In other words, it seems as if Jesus is almost magnifying the arrogance of Peter in his own ignorance and says, my friend, you're going to deny you even know me. I'm not exactly sure how that hit Peter because what takes place after that is Peter is even more emphatically insistent and says never. He basically says, no matter what happens, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And that word never has always been an issue for me because in my own personal life, in the places where I have used I will always do something or I will never do something. And I did. And I realized that I was banking on my own strength, on my own reserves and did things that I thought and promised I would never do. There's a sense to where that kind of weakness is in every single one of us. And Peter puts it right out there. And Jesus, hearing that, the disciples, then they all chime in the same way. Hey, what, gee, what, what Peter said, we're all on the same bandwagon as well too. We'll never, we'll never. Be very careful about the never and always when we are basing our responses on our own character. Jesus didn't say anything. He continues to move into the next place where he gets to the garden. 
He puts the majority of disciples in one place. He sits them there and then he takes Peter, James, and John a little further. And it's at this particular point that it seems as if Jesus is now getting an apocalypse himself. He seems to be getting a greater degree of the suffering he'll go through to the point to where he becomes emotionally distraught and distressed and burdened and overcome with the weight of what's coming to the point of death. He mentions the cup a little later on in the passage, and that cup signifies, it could signify the intense excruciation and suffering that Jesus will go through. But we know that that cup is going to mean that Jesus Christ is going to take upon himself the weight of the sins of the world. The weight of the sins of the world, past, present, and future. The sins then, your sins, my sins today, he's going to take all of the, I have no concept of what that would be like to have the weight of that hostility against God on me. Jesus knows it's coming, but not only the weight of the sin, he's also going to bear the wrath of God for those sins. He's going to face the judgment of the almighty, holy God for the sins that we have all committed. And then that unbelievably beautiful, supernatural, mystical, intimate communion that Jesus has always from everlasting shared with the Father. That communion, that intimacy was about to be disrupted and Jesus Christ would taste abandonment, being forsaken by his heavenly Father, separated. In this moment, friends, Jesus Christ is experiencing Weakness, frailty. And this is where dynamic life shows up in beautiful ways. First of all, to consider dynamic life has more and has greater love than defective life. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus knows what the disciples are gonna do. He knows they're gonna betray him. He knows that they're gonna abandon him. He knows they're gonna deny him. He knows that they're gonna desert him. And yet he still wants them to be with him. He still is accompanying them. He still desires their support. That doesn't compute with me. In other words, if I knew that someone was gonna betray me, I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, you stay in the room. You stay back at home. You're not coming with me. I don't even wanna see your face. And yet Jesus invites them to attend him. He becomes vulnerable vulnerable with them. Later on, you'll see that he even protects them. Jesus basically loves them. This is our example of what do you do when life becomes defective or people become defective. Dynamic life continues to express a love that is greater than the defection. Then he says to his friends, Peter, James, and John, he says, you all stay here and stay watch. And then Jesus goes into the garden a little bit further He falls before Abba and he is just under the burden of what's coming. And he says, Abba, if if there's any possibility, please allow this cup to pass from me. But Lord, not what I will, but what you want. Folks, here's, here's the hard part. The answer to that kind of request from God will always be yes. Jesus said, if it's possible, knowing that it would be possible, but it's not beneficial for the will of the Father or for humanity. And so Jesus says, but Father, not what I will, but what you will. And the Father's answer in a sense is, yes, we've talked about this and we're moving forward with that kind of plan. Folks, 
dynamic life actually enables us to align our lives with the will of God. It's not about trying to change God's mind, but to adopt and embrace the fullness of God's will also. And Jesus does that. But then he, after that particular time of prayer, he comes out and checks in on his friends to see how they're doing. (laughs) And they're asleep. And he wakes them up. And as, as a matter of fact, he speaks specifically to Peter, but he doesn't call him Peter. He speaks to Peter and calls him Simon. That was his real name. Jesus gave him the name Peter as rock. But now Simon, couldn't you stay awake one hour? This is the guy who said, no matter even if it's to death, I will not deny you. I will follow you. You can count on me. Simon, you couldn't stay awake for one hour? And then he tells Simon, along with Peter, James, and John, he tells them that they must stay awake. They must be alert and that they should pray so that they will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing. The spirit is eager. The spirit is ready, but the flesh is insufficient. It's inadequate for the task at hand. It is feeble. It is weak. And here's the second thing that dynamic life does. Dynamic life resources for our faithfulness. It gives us the resources that provides a way for us to not fall into temptation and erodes our desire to follow Christ faithfully. First Corinthians chapter 10 says this, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with a temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Jesus, in this moment, gives Simon and us a way out. When those moments are coming, he says basically a couple things. Number one, stay alert, stay awake. If we got any Gregories in the room, that word Gregory, Gregory actually means to be alert, to, to be vigilant, to be aware of the forces that are coming. And here's what's important. If we're going to be faithful in those moments that are coming, we need to be aware of the forces that are external that oppose us. To be informed of what's taking place, to to not be so closed-minded, our eyes closed, we don't see, sometimes in many cases, the demonic forces that would seek to erode our faith and our confidence in Christ. It's interesting that later on, Peter would write a letter in 1 Peter, here's what he said, maybe even thinking back to what took place in the garden. Verse, chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded. He's writing this to Christians that are scattered. He says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith. In other words, be alert to the forces that are around you. Be alert to the forces that are coming against you. Be alert to the forces you can't deal with on your own. Folks, here's the thing. Against the spiritual forces that oppose us, we, hear me carefully, we will never win. Apart from Christ, we will never win succeed against those forces if we're not in Christ. Maybe the greatest weakness for the follower of Christ is strength apart from Christ. Doing things on our own strength, on our own terms, from our own desires. Strength apart from Christ may be our greatest weakness. But then Jesus gives Peter or Simon the next part. He says, pray. Pray, seek reliance upon God. Seek the pursuit of an independence from your dependence on self. 
Avail yourself to the leadership and the resources that come from God. Present your case before him. Seek to have his power manifested in your life. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge your inadequacy. But claim the the power of his sufficiency. Pray and ask God for the help. Jesus actually models this. That's what he did. He was alert. He was aware of what's taking place around him, aware of the weaknesses, the frailty, and then he prayed and asked God. Folks, sometimes that alertness has to do not only with the forces that are on the outside, but the weakness that's on the inside to admit we can't do it alone. And Jesus, he succeeded in that moment by not relying upon anything less than the help from his father. How did Peter do? Not well, (laughs) not well. Peter never took Jesus seriously, didn't take the hour at hand seriously, didn't take the help that was available seriously. So here's what happens. When Jesus comes to the disciples, Peter is woken up, really embarrassed that he was sleeping, and that happens three times. Three times after Jesus leaves to go pray, Peter is asleep, along with Peter, James, James and John, and he is probably mortified. When the hour takes place where Jesus is going to be arrested, after that third time, Peter basically freaks out, fights, and then flees. He wakes up in a stir, he freaks, he's freaking out. He goes to what is natural, his own natural resources and pulls out an unauthorized weapon. A weapon that was not designed to further the kingdom, but to further his perspective of what kingdom should be. And he starts brandishing that, cuts off some guy's ear, only to hear Jesus tell him to put away his sword, that that weapon is inappropriate and that's not the right place time, motive, or result for that weapon in that particular time. And after he did that, Peter, like the rest of the disciples, flees. He he wasn't ready. There was really no alertness. There was really no prayer. There was really no seeking to rely upon God. And because of that, in the moment when it happened, Peter bailed after he'd already done some damage with this unauthorized expression of force. Folks, when the moments like that take place, There's a couple of choices we have when we need to take a stand and it's either to fight in a way that actually creates more problems or to flee, to avoid, to be, to meet it with indifference, silence, lack of engagement, to bail. I want to tell you that uh, these past couple of weeks have been difficult for many people. A lot of grief, a lot of hurt, a lot of anger for many. Uh, Still grieving the injustice of what not only took place, but what has been taking place for years. Grieving for the shame and the guilt and the fear on both sides. Uh, Grieving for the loss of life, the loss of quality of life on both sides, all sides of the issue. Grieving for the expressions of violence, unauthorized abuse of power and force. But can I tell you what's been grieving me an awful lot? It's what I've been hearing and seeing from those who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ and followers of Christ. I have seen and heard some of the most ungodliest, unchrist-like conduct, speech, intonation. And some of these Christians, we, they're demanding the right to express themselves in a way that does not reflect who Jesus is. And that's been 
painful for me. Knowing full well the source of our answer is in him and yet followers of Christ who refuse but to brandish their own weapons to accomplish Christ's purposes on their terms. Folks, that is not who we are. Whether those words or actions are vitriolic, caustic, destructive, disrespectful, that is not whose we are. It does not reflect who Jesus Christ is. And whatever we do, all that we do as followers of Jesus, it must reflect the character and the conduct of the one who leads us, the Christ who is the master over all this mess, but we do so reflecting who he is, which is one of the reasons why I'm extremely inspired by Forest Hill's vision. Here's what Forest Hill's vision is for what we're to become. Forest Hill Church envisions the greater Charlotte area transformed by its connection to Christ instead of formed by its divisions and led by disciples inspired by and released for kingdom impact. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And we're, we want to address the causes. We want to be able to make sure that in the institutions, whether they be business or education or art or the legal system or the healthcare system or the real estate, that we want to be able to stand against injustices that continue to keep people marginalized. But folks, we also want to see reconciliations in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in marriages, in families, in interpersonal relationships as we confront racism and sexism and classism and whatever ism you can come up with that violates God's desire for humanity to experience life on his terms. Here's what I understand. Sometimes, folks, following Christ means responding to a call not just to step out of our comfort zones, but sometimes to step into some danger zones to bring the healing light of redemption, of hope, of restoration that Christ has brought to us. That is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that every person needs to deal with their own sinful hostility against God. That Jesus bears the weight of that wrath and sin so that we can know by grace, we can know the love of God. Every single human being is desperately in need of that remedy but it won't happen if we are following anything other than Jesus himself. In other words, what happens if you fail? (laughs) What happens if trying to do the right thing or trying to do whatever, we fail in pursuing Jesus Christ like Peter did? Here's the other part of that dynamic life. The beauty is that that dynamic life also brings restoration after failure. It brings restoration after failure. As a matter of fact, Jesus introduces the apocalypse of failure and immediately an apocalypse of forgiveness and hope and restoration. In Mark chapter 14, that very powerful word, but. After he says that they're gonna desert him, that they're gonna abandon him, and they're gonna be scattered, he says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Luke chapter 22, even when Jesus is speaking to Simon, here's what he says, verse 31, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen the brothers. 
He tells Peter he's going to abandon him, but then he also says, but Peter, I've prayed for you, and when you have returned. In other words, even in the place of failure, Jesus interjects the hope of restoration. In other words, failure is not final. It's a forward, kind of an introduction to a little book that Jesus is writing of his glory into our story. And later on, we'll see how Jesus restores Peter, even with the word at the table, but then later on after the resurrection on the beach, and Peter becomes this powerful leader in the church that reminds us, folks, resurrection changes everything. The reality of the resurrection changes everything. So where our failures are no longer final, but opportunities for God to express through his grace in our life, his hope and love and kingdom impact for the entire world in a way that reflects his character, his purpose. As I told you, this has been a tough week. I have listened to a lot on both sides. And it has, quite frankly, not provided an awful lot of peace. But here are a couple of things that I've listened to that did provide peace. Number one, I tuned out a lot of the voices on all sides and I focused for several days on just listening to the scripture, even an audio file of scripture. And one of the scriptures I read was 1 Peter, a letter by Peter about how we should live our lives. And I gotta tell you, and I encourage you, listen to it, read it. And it just kind of gave water to my soul and reminded me of who I am and whose I am. I also had the privilege of listening to the last sermon preached by Dr. Martin Luther King to the the Cathedral of St. Peter and St. Paul in Washington, D.C., March 31st, 1968, his last sermon before his death. And it was powerful to hear Dr. King refer to the Rip Van Winkle story of a man who went to sleep in one era, woke up in another era, and he basically said that America is on the verge of sleeping through a revolution. And that while he continued to talk about the foundation of protest not being violent. He says, but there's gotta be done the work to dismantle the systemic racism that keeps the people of color oppressed, but also that America needs to use the resources to address the poverty stricken in her community. And I was refreshed by that. But I gotta tell you that what really inspired me was a story by one of my favorite comedians, Michael Jr. And Michael Jr. told a story about when he was 19 years old, trying to do a business, and he was treated with injustice by policemen who were abusing their power. To one point, even having a gun at the back of his head while he was looking and searching for his identity in his own house. After that, Michael Jr. was on the floor. He was hurt. He was angry. He was in pain. And then the woman that was across the hall, the woman who actually had the boyfriend who the policemen were after, she came into into Michael uh, Jr.'s room. She was crying. She was inconsolable. She was hysterical. They've taken everything. I have nothing. And Michael was listening to this. And after a while, Michael reached into his wallet and gave her everything that he had, $14 and change, and gave it to her. She received it with gratitude and she left. And Michael said that in that moment, he realized that she had given him more than he had given her, that she gave him an opportunity for healing 
to begin. He said, when I gave the woman what, what I had, the, ang- the hurt was still there, but the anger began to subside. And his challenge was, for the people that are around us that are hurting, we need to ask the question, what can I give? And he said, you answer that question and you give, I promise you, he said, healing begins for you. He said that because of that, it got to a point to where he no longer held anything against a police officer, forgave him, and didn't allow that to continue to keep him from seeing that the policemen, people behind a uniform, that they're persons as well. We know that there are so many officers who are faithful to protect and serve while there are some that are abusing that. And yet even for Michael at that point, because he was able to do something for someone else, he began to experience healing. What can I give? Do people need a hug? That's what he said. Do people need to just be heard, to, to be listened to? Do they need financial or material resources? What do they need? That we look around at the people that are around us, people that are hurting, and in the spirit of Christ, that we would ask the question, what can I give? And we act as those who are vigilant and alert, as those who are reliant upon God, as those who are being led by Jesus Christ, and it affects our healing as well. But for that to happen, we have to surrender completely to Jesus Christ to place our faith and our trust in him and allow his work in us so that our decisions from that point forward reflect his character, his conduct, and we step into the opportunity to bring the kind of kingdom impact that can bring healing to the world and healing to us. I encourage you, Surrender your life to the leadership of Jesus Christ if you've never done it, to confess your sin, to acknowledge his death and his resurrection that's for you so that his power and his life, his dynamic life can flow through you, through me and bring healing to a broken world. We have every reason for hope. Would you pray with me about that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done through Jesus to show us what dynamic life looks like in a broken world and in the brokenness of our own individual lives. Help us, Lord, to surrender and submit all of ourselves to you so that your life can flow through us. Jesus, thank you for the example. Thank you for the sacrifice, for your atoning sacrifice, for your resurrection. And now that you desire to live through us, that we may experience your dynamic life and extend your kingdom impact. I pray right now for those who are still dealing with hurt and pain, that Lord Jesus, you'd bring healing, that you'd bring comfort, that you'd bring peace, and that you'd renew a commitment within us to represent you on your terms, in your way, God, for your glory on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.